0: Chapter 2 of A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 The Indians. First of all the historic peoples to acquire California were the Indians. It is therefore pertinent to ask why it is that California is no longer an Indian country in any sense of the term the answers will be made in course of many of the succeeding chapters but it will become clear from this that the indian could not hope to compete with the civilized races though he might have rendered their occupation of california more difficult than in fact he did anthropologists frequently attempt to classify primitive peoples according to different standards which they apply to the lay mind these classifications are helpful even though they are almost invariably denounced by anthropologists themselves other than the authors of the particular classifications perhaps the most generally accepted mode of describing primitive man of prehistoric times is accorded to the implements he used thus there lived the paleolithic or old stone age man who used rough stone implements followed by the neolithic new stone age man who improved his implements by polishing them. Then came ages of bronze and iron, until historic times were reached, when man first began to write down records. Various pale have dared to estimate the length of time man existed in each of the ages. One of them, Mortelet, gives 222,000 years of life to Paleolithic man, and 10,000 for the Neolithic, bronze, and iron ages together. The date for the beginning of recorded history is quite definite. That occurred less than 7,000 years ago. That date is also taken to mark the beginning of a grade of culture which we call civilization. The above suffices, however, if at all, only for man in his most advanced stage at any time. Many people lagged far behind the foremost. It therefore has seemed necessary to apply some test whereby backward races may be recognized and differentiated from one another and from civilized peoples. One of the most useful of the classifications employed, if also one of the most impossible of applications in a given case, and therefore one of the most criticized by expert authority, is that which distinguishes between three grades of savagery and three of barbarism, through which primitive peoples are said to pass before they arrive at a state of civilization according to this characterization savage man is a wanderer in the lower or arboreal stage he lives in trees and eats fruits and nuts this is the time when he first differentiates himself from other animals through his acquisition of articulate speech the vanguard of mankind may have reached this stage anywhere from about 160,000 to 60,000 B.C. Learning how to fish and control fire, man passes into the middle or fishing stage. This may have occurred between 60,000 and 20,000 B.C. for the leaders of humankind. Then man discovered how to make and use the bow and arrow, and passed into higher savagery or the hunting stage. This may have lasted from about 20,000 B.C. to about 10,000 B.C. for those who reached it first. With the invention of pottery, and therefore the very great multiplication and improvement of his utensils, man passes into a state of barbarism and tends to give up his wanderings and to lead a settled life. In the lower age of barbarism comes the domestication of animals, followed by the beginnings of agriculture at which point, the middle grade of barbarism is reached. Both of these states first appeared in the Neolithic Age. With the use of metals, originally in the Bronze and Iron Ages, particularly with the smelting of iron ore, and with the development of manufactures of a rude character, man advances into upper barbarism, from which he emerges into civilization when he begins to write down records. As already observed, no hard and fast line between groups according to the above classification can be drawn in fact. A given people will often exhibit the traits of various groups. Furthermore, inferior peoples imitate the external forms of civilization in a very short space of time, when they come in contact with civilized man. But they can hardly be said to advance at one jump out of a savagery and barbarism after all however all that is necessary for the layman to know is that the primitive man however learned he may be in his own lore when measured by the standards of civilization seems to have the mind of a child primitive californians ranged from a state of upper savagery to that of lower barbarism in the case of the indians of the santa barbara channel who were by far the most advanced the average in the region taken over eventually by the spaniards was about that of upper savagery or some fifteen thousand years behind the white man in general culture there are many controversies about their origin and racial affinities which need not be entered into at great length here it is generally agreed that they and other indians of this hemisphere came either from Asia or the Pacific Islands, whether by way of Alaska, the long sea route, very likely against their will driven by storms, or even across some prehistoric Pacific continent, this has not been definitely determined. The number of tribes in California without close racial affinity seems to have been very great. According to Kroeber, the leading authority on the subject, There were as many as 21 linguistic families, not to mention the much greater number of dialects. One of the most interesting contentions is that California Indians show evidences of relationship with the Aztecs. Can the great Aztec migration into Mexico have passed by way of California? If so, it would seem that some of the least desirable elements were left behind. As the Spaniards found them, the California Indians were not nomadic. Often they were somewhat unsettled in habitation, but always within a very limited territory. The groups in which they lived were hardly tribal. Indeed, they depended on language and topography more than upon any political or social organization. The small village was the most common unit. Of first-rate importance, historically, is the number of Indians who dwelt in California. Not many years ago it was taught in the schools of this country that there were only some 250,000 Indians in all of what is now the United States at the time of the discovery of America. With a more intensive study of far western history there has come about a considerable multiplication of this figure. There is one estimate for California alone which reaches as high as 700,000 this number seems far too great kroeber's estimate of a hundred and thirty three thousand quite likely approximates the fact figures for the region occupied by spain after seventeen sixty nine are very confusing since only the records of the missions which were far from containing all the indians in the conquered country even approach completeness it would seem not unreasonable to say that there may have been some seventy thousand indians between san francisco and san diego or adjacent thereto these figures become significant in the light of the scant number of spaniards in california in the entire spanish period the population of california was never much higher than three thousand and for more than two decades it was less than a thousand indeed in the crucial years of the early settlement spain held some four hundred miles of territory in the face of a patent if not very strenuously manifested indian hostility notably in the south with from less than a hundred to about two hundred men more than a thousand miles from effective reinforcement it was this fact that made the whole history of california tremble in the balance success crowned spain's efforts wherefore unthinking posterity has assumed that the task was easy. It will be one of the purposes of this volume to show forth the Spanish achievement in truer perspective and to indicate its overwhelming importance as affecting the later acquisition of the province by the United States. Against a determined and competent Indian people, Spain would have found it impossible to prevail fortunately the californians showed neither the one attribute nor the other this will appear from a general survey of their manner of life though there were many differences from group to group there was a general underlying uniformity which applied to most of them it will therefore suffice here to describe them as a whole making such differentiation in specific customs as may seem necessary judged by standards prevailing among civilized peoples the habits of the californians were to say the least gross and somewhat in need of expurgation in the telling krober sums them up as follows ethnologically california may be said to be characterized by the absence of agriculture and of pottery by the total absence of totemism or gentile organization by an unusually simple and loose social organization in which wealth plays, for a somewhat primitive and an American group, a rather important part, by the very rude development of all arts except basketry, by the lack of art of realism, by a slight development of fetishism, and by the conspicuous lack of the symbolism and ritualism so highly developed by most of the American Indians by the marked prevalence of religious restrictions connected with birth, death, sexual matters, and similar phases of life, by the predominance among ceremonials of mourning and initiation rites, and by a considerable development of true conceptions of creation in mythology. These characteristics hold true in some degree almost throughout the entire state, but in nearly every case They are most marked in the large central region, the inhabitants of which may be justly regarded as the most typical of Californians. Hand in hand with these ethnological characteristics go the temperamental ones of an unwarlike nature and a lack of intensity and pride which are such strongly marked qualities of the American Indians as a whole this may be illustrated by a discussion of some of their more obvious customs dress had little to do with style or morality as those words are now understood but depended more especially on climate in summer the men wore a loin cloth or nothing there was no such thing as a sense of shame the women wore an apron or skirt reaching from the waist to the knees made usually of tule grass skins of animals gave additional warmth in winter style entered in to some extent ornaments of bone shell or wood were worn in the ears or hair or around the necks or wrists women beautified themselves by tattooing their faces necks and breasts and the men were not free from this bit of vanity the latter often painted their bodies grotesquely hardly from a sense of humour but rather to frighten evil spirits and enemies away or perhaps also from motives of style homes were simple in the extreme the typical wigwam made in conical shape of poles and banked with earth with an opening in the top for smoke to go out and air to come in and with a slit in the side for an entrance was the most commonly used in summer the indians of central and southern california who were somewhat more backward than those of the north often found sufficient shelter under a bush or in a tree this does not apply to the indians of the santa barbara channel however they had well-fashioned huts of thatch those who hold that food is the mainspring of human activities will not be loath to admit that the diet of the californians left much to be desired they ate very little meat Because they lacked domestic animals and were so bestially lazy, especially in Central and Southern California, that they were poor hunters. Nevertheless, they were far from being vegetarians. On the contrary, they ate nearly everything that teeth could bite which came their way. Coyotes, crows, lizards, rats, mice, frogs, and not merely the hind legs, skunks, and snakes were eaten by many groups. And when a dead whale drifted ashore, it provided occasion for rejoicing, because of the meat it supplied. Grasshoppers were something of a delicacy. They were eaten in various forms, dried, mashed, or roasted. Many of the Indians caught fish, but many others, even those who dwelt along the coast, confined themselves to taking salmon and lampre eels in the rivers bear meat and the flesh of other large game were rarely eaten not that the indians objected to the taste but because they believed that such dangerous creatures must be possessed of a demon and to eat the meat would mean swallowing the demon the rough delicacies thus far named were not however the principal food supply of the californians otherwise there would have been no californians left to greet the white man The Indians lived chiefly on foods that grew wild. Of these, acorns were easily the most important item. They were ground to a flour and cooked to make bread. Many wars were fought in primitive California over the possession of acorn groves. Next after acorns came seeds, especially of grasses and herbs. Roots and berries were also used. The soil was left untilled, for to the natives the land seemed bountiful enough as it was in a word then the californians ate little more than that which came easily to hand without effort it is hardly necessary to observe that a country with no better food supply than that just described would be little better than a barren desert to the white man coming from afar to make settlements occupations were simple in kind in time of peace the man busied himself in doing nothing chiefly occasionally he would hunt or fish but much more often not the women did all the real work they gathered the acorns seeds and other food did all of the drudgery about the domestic hearth and made clothing and such other simple articles of manufacture as the indians required Worthy of special notice were the waterproof baskets, stone cooking vessels, and awls of bone that they fashioned. The northern and southern Californians had canoes and rafts, but those of the central regions, despite their aquatic opportunities, seemed to be little, if at all, acquainted with this valuable adjunct of primitive life. Nothing but tule rafts graced the waters of San Francisco Bay. It was in war that the men found their true occupation. Their military customs are particularly deserving of notice because of their bearing eventually upon the Indians' prospects of retaining the country against the white man. Attention has already been directed to the considerable number of the Californian Indians. Furthermore, they seem to have been far from cowardly. If not exactly brave, they at least showed courage in meeting death. Nevertheless, the Californians must be rated very poor warriors. They had no idea of organization or discipline, and their weapons were nothing more elaborate than bows and arrows and clubs. Worst of all was their apathy in the presence of foreign invasion. They rarely resisted, and never effectually. Battles among themselves were not productive of much bloodshed. As soon as somebody was killed or badly wounded, the fight was wont to stop. Yet, weak as they were, the Californians needed only to persevere, just as the much less numerous Yumas did in 1781, to have wiped out the settlements Spain founded after 1769. Some of their other practices in warfare may also be noted. It was customary to cut off the heads, hands, and feet of a dead enemy to save as trophies scalping was rare except among the southern indians the gustatory habits of the californians did not ordinarily extend to cannibalism but a bit of every brave enemy who had died in battle might be eaten not because of the meat he provided but rather in order to get his courage prisoners of war were almost always put to death and not enslaved there was little or no warfare of the migratory conquering type for the Californians had found their several abiding places and were satisfied with them. There were some economic wars, such as those arising from disputes over acorn groves, or from the erection of a weir by a down-river tribe to prevent salmon from going upstream, and occasionally there were deliberate campaigns for plunder. Religion was also a cause for war the medicine men or priests of one tribe would sometimes proclaim that those of another were practicing sorcery and magic to the detriment of the former war was a natural consequence a curious ceremonial often attended the californian wars not infrequently the time and place of battle would be arranged beforehand by heralds the personal habits of the californians were to say the least filthy Their houses and they themselves were covered with vermin, which on occasion they would catch and eat. Food for the winter was often gathered in milder seasons and kept around the inner walls of their simple houses. As dried fish was sometimes an important article of the winter food supply, it may well be imagined that the odors of the home were none too inviting. Over some of their other private customs, it is perhaps best to draw a veil it is not surprising that many diseases followed in the wake of the filthy habits of the californians to these were added a number of ailments caused they believed by evil spirits imaginary ills many would characterize them though often the sickness must have been real if indeed of supernatural attribution to effect a cure a barking doctor would be first called in to diagnose the disease He would bark until the spirits revealed the locality of the sickness, and then perhaps would suck the affected part, pretending to cure it, or he might call in an herb doctor to administer treatment. Sometimes an air-proof underground room called the Temescal, an institution of many uses, was resorted to by the sick man for a cure the idea was that in the hot and be it said murky air of the temescal often called a sweat-house in which a fire was built he could get up a free perspiration after which he was supposed to rush outside and jump into cold water in parts of central and southern california the dead were cremated their ashes were mixed with grease to form a paste which was painted upon the face in the sign of mourning THIS WAS RETAINED IN HONOR OF THE DEAD UNTIL THE WIND AND WEATHER WORE IT AWAY. THEN mourning CEASED. RELATIONS OF INDIANS WITH ONE ANOTHER, EVEN WITHIN THE SAME TRIBE, WERE MARKED BY LITTLE THAT APPROXIMATED THE PRESENT-DAY MEANING OF ECONOMIC AND POLITICAL INSTITUTIONS. YET, PROPERTY AND A KIND OF MONEY EXISTED. WHITE SHELLS WERE MOST USED AS MONEY but obsidian and the skins of animals were also employed as a circulating medium. The tribal chiefs were usually hereditary, but in northern California the richest wielded the scepter, such as it was. Other than that they were leaders in war, the chiefs had no real power beyond that of their personal influence. Government was mainly a matter for the individual family, and there the man was indeed the lord and master. Nevertheless, there were tribal laws which were rigidly enforced. These dealt principally with murder and adultery. Usually, murder might be compounded for by a monetary payment. And in the case of a man, this was true also for the crime of adultery. But for the woman, there might be a horrible death. The rigors of the law concerning adultery were due rather to a sense of economic injury since the wife was the most prized possession of the husband, rather than to any feeling of moral repulsion over the act itself. Sexual incontinence among the unmarried was hardly an offense at all. The Southern Californians alone were not polygamous. The marriage ceremony was simple or lacking altogether. There were no intermediaries, except relatives, and no promises made. IN THE NORTH IT WAS PURELY AN ECONOMIC TRANSACTION, JUST AS THE PURCHASE OF A VALUABLE SKIN WOULD HAVE BEEN. EVERYWHERE IT WAS THE USUAL PRACTICE FOR MEN TO BUY THEIR WIVES. IN THE NORTH THE SOCIAL STANDING OF THE WOMAN DEPENDED ON THE AMOUNT SHE COST. IF SHE WERE BOUGHT ON THE PARTIAL PAYMENT PLAN, SHE WAS NOT CONSIDERED FULLY MARRIED UNTIL ALL OF THE DEBT WAS PAID. Naturally, the girl had no lawful right to refuse the man to whom her parents sold her. Naturally, too, divorce at the will of the man existed, if he were willing to separate himself from so valuable and expensive a piece of property. It is at least interesting, as an evidence of the primitive mentality of the Californian Indians, that men were wont to affect the pains of childbearing in the belief that by this procedure, they lightened the labors of the woman. Slavery was not unknown, but was rare and never hereditary. With plenty of women to do such little work as they required, there was hardly a need for slaves. The institution served rather as punishment for debt and as a penalty for illegitimate birth. The keynote to a broad understanding of the Indian mind lies surely in the study of his religion it is impossible to give a detailed statement here but it may suffice to say that there were gods demons and spirits and omens and portents everywhere and at all times the rustling of leaves in the forest had something in it of the supernatural to the indian and so too the shooting stars of the heavens and thousands of other little happenings as well naturally the profession of the sorcerer soothsayer and astrologer fared well among the indians particularly this was so because religion was quite apart from ideals of righteousness and good conduct rather it would seem it was a necessary evil something to be guarded against rather than to embrace for the gods were vengeful when they were not downright wicked he was perhaps the greater hero who could successfully deceive the gods Than he who blindly served them. Yet certain of the Californians had a hazy notion of a supreme being and of a future life in which those who had performed the appropriate religious services would get every material want satisfied. Once death came, however, it was necessary for the departed soul to race with the demons in order to get to heaven, and unless his relatives performed certain ceremonies to frighten the demons away or give the soul a good start it would assuredly lose in times of peace too a regard for individual and tribal safety necessitated the keeping of lodge fires the temescal to which none but the men were admitted was often used for this and other rites. but the fire was retained there only in the cold months the natives rarely traveled due in large measure no doubt to the chains of religion which bound up their lives with a particular locality amusements too such as they were grew out of religion the temescal was something of a club room for the men as well as a religious temple dancing and feasting at different seasons were also in the nature of a religious ceremonial the dancing was accompanied by chants and the men alone took part formal amusements as such did not exist unless gambling is to be so considered the californians were indeed inveterate gamblers it can be seen that no civilized state might be expected to develop among the barbarous californians the only question was how long could they postpone the inevitable conquest of the land by a capable people they had the advantage of distance from civilized lands intervening geographical difficulties, and considerable numbers among themselves. Yet they did not delay white settlement and conquest for a single day once the white man had overcome the obstacles of nature. This is indeed an evidence of their insufficiency, but it was also far more than civilization had a right to expect. That the Spaniards were so successful in coping with them is more a tribute to the Spaniards than conclusive proof of utter indian incapacity footnote the subject of the california indians has recently been treated exhaustively and authoritatively by alfred l krober whose manuscript is in the hands of the smithsonian institution awaiting publication as this volume goes to press among the numerous writings of professor krober already in print the two following are of special interest to the general reader. 1. Indians of California, Smithsonian Institution, Bureau of American Ethnology, Bulletin 30, Part 1, A through M, Handbook of American Indians North of Mexico, Washington, 1907, 190. 2. Types of Indian Culture in California. University of California, Publications in American Archaeology and Ethnology, Berkeley, 1904, Volume 2, Number 3. End of chapter 2.